the nonprofit Social Media Summit is back and better than ever. This year, the summit is all virtual and coming directly to your screens on November 2nd and 3rd. Speakers include Amy Sample Ward, Afua Bruce, Lisa Mae Brunson, and of course, yours truly, and many more. We're covering everything from TikTok to time management, Facebook ads to influencer marketing. Get your free ticket at nonprofitsocialmediasummit.com, and I'll see you there. Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Nonprofit Nation. Thrilled to have you here and to be in your earbuds or in your car, wherever you're listening. I am Julia Campbell, and I'm your host. And today we're going to talk about becoming an intentional fundraiser. And I have a world-renowned fundraising expert, Tammy Zonker. She's recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts, but she's also an inspiring international speaker and trainer in the discipline of transformational philanthropy. And I can't wait to talk about that. She's trained, coached, and led nonprofit teams to raise more than half a billion dollars, including a single gift of $27.1 million. We'll definitely get into that. Tammy moved to Detroit in 2008, motivated to fundraise in the most challenging economy in the U.S., and she turned those experiences into fundraising strategies, tools, and processes for creating breakthrough fundraising results in any economy, something we can definitely use right now. And I've been fortunate enough to see Tammy speak, and I know she's a very masterful storyteller. She's a certified AFP master trainer. She's absolutely fantastic. And her favorite storyteller is also from Detroit, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So we'll just kind of leave you waiting to see who that is. So Tammy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julia. I am so excited to be here with you. It has been a long time coming. And I think, did we first meet at AFP in San Antonio? Is that where we first met in person? It was the last AFP pre in person pre-pandemic. Was that San Antonio? I think it was San Antonio. It's so hard to remember pre-pandemic times. <laughs> but I was so thrilled to meet you and see you speak. So how did you become so passionate about fundraising? How did how did you get into this work? Well, I, I started my career in the for-profit sector in consultative sales in like the IBM dealer network world. And as a practice director there, they put me through the Stephen Covey Seven Habits of Highly Effective People course. Oh, I love that. I love that book. And so in the class on the very last day, Friday morning, the assignment is visualize your 80th birthday party. So essentially, 
Who's there? What are they acknowledging you for? It's kind of the legacy question. And so what I realized in that exercise was that other than my family and my faith, my volunteer work with domestic violence organizations and children's organizations was really one of the most meaningful, purposeful pieces of my life. So I'm like, light bulb, I need, this is what I need to do. And it, it felt like given my strengths in relationship-based sales, that fundraising would be a pretty easy transition and a pretty natural fit. So that's how I came to this work. And that's been like 20 years ago. And tell us about a single gift of $27.1 million. (laughs) Okay. So the single gift of 27.1. And thank you for acknowledging the 0.1. Yes. Oh my gosh. Every dollar counts. Yes, it does. So that was, goodness, it was 2010. That was the year that I became an empty nester and I was working and living in Northeastern Indiana. My last, um, my last baby went off to college. You know, I thought if I were really going to test my fundraising skills, like where would I go? What would I do? And I thought Detroit. I mean, Detroit at the time, there were goodness, two of the three big automakers. So the biggest employers were in bankruptcy. Unemployment was 30%. And I thought, well, gosh, if I can fundraise, they all fundraise anywhere. You know, like it'll teach me so much. So I jumped into Detroit as a sandbox, got a little loft, packed up my little dogs (laughs) and worked there Monday through Friday. So I was on contract with the United Way for Southeastern Michigan. And it was to help them do some turnaround work to transition from kind of you know, a little bit of strong arming giving, like here's the payroll deduction form to more relationship-based fundraising from obligatory giving to inspired to be being more moved by storytelling. And so I was working with the team. I actually took on a contract position as their like senior director of corporate relations. So I was managing a team and a small portfolio of my own corporate accounts. So fast forward, I was there for two and a half years and Prior to me coming, that board had taken on a pretty big, hairy, audacious goal, a Jim Collins-inspired, good-to-great goal of making Detroit a top-five city to live and work by the year 2023. And it was a lot to do around high school graduation rates, which were, on average, about 30% in public schools, helping children show up to kindergarten, meeting ready-to-learn standards, meaning they can write their name, they can count They know that a book orientation opens from the right and the pages turn to the left, like basic things. And then food security issues, getting access to healthy foods and helping families become banked and financially literate. So we took that agenda into a meeting with the North American president of General Motors, who at the time was Mark Royce. And... So I just want to emphasize that the CEO was present, the CEO of the United Way, as well as the volunteer campaign cabinet leader. So all that to say, major gifts, transformational gifts don't happen without peer-to-peer engagement. So the three of us, we went in, we sat down in the office. In fact, the volunteer, Jeff Bergeron, who was the managing partner of Ernst & Young, he got the appointment. 
we walked into Mark's office, we sat down, niceties were exchanged, and then we made our case about needing their strategy, his thought leadership in this transformational work that we were taking on. And, you know, his first, what he said to us first was, I love what you're doing, but, you know, we're not in a position to give you any money. We are in bankruptcy. We're laying people off. It's really difficult. And we said, we know. Oh, well, we, we appreciate the employee campaigns and the corporate gifts that you've given in the past. We're not here to talk about that. We're here to really talk about this transformational leadership, this change that we're wanting to create in our community. The same kind of transformation you and your leadership team are making at GM. We want to do that across the city of Detroit. And we need your thought leadership in that space. And so in a great and amazing conversation ensued. And so the one ask in that meeting was not for money. It was come to our offices and take a tour. So about six weeks later, he came on a tour. And of course, we had total boring office at the United Way, right? All the, all the work happens in the community. But we did have the 211 hotline where calls for basic needs are coming in around the clock. And so he signed a little non-disclosure. He sat down, he listened in on some calls, and he really got a sense for the, the heartbreaking need in the community. We then took him into kind of our war room. We gave him an update on our high school turnarounds. He asked tough questions and some of them that we couldn't answer and would talk about what's working, what's broken in our approach to this transformational turnaround work and what we knew we didn't know yet. And it was interesting, Julia, because the more vulnerable and transparent we became, the more vulnerable and transparent he became. He said, you know, at GM, we've, we've lost our soul. We've forgotten who we are. And we're going to turn this around. We're going to make it up to Detroit, to Michigan, to this country. And the one ask coming out of that meeting was not for money. It was come to one of those schools that we're talking about where we're working to do this turnaround work. And he said, okay, I'll come to your school, but I would like to know what would it take to turn around five more schools because we had piloted this turnaround in five schools funded by the Kresge Foundation and the Skillman Foundation and some really like really visionary and generous foundations. And so we said, okay, we'll prepare a proposal. We set a date. We toured him on the school. Again, That by this time, it was mid-September. Took him on the tour. He walked through the same metal detectors that Detroit kids walk through every day when they walk into a Detroit. It was amazing. We had four principals tell their story of why they do this work, why they're giving their kids, their school kids, their personal cell phones, why they are on call to help these kids at the drop of a hat. And then we had four students come in and tell their stories. And I am telling you, Julia, there was not a dry eye in the room. Kids were extraordinary and resilient and tenacious and inspiring. And there was especially one uh, young student. Her name was Destiny. And she could not have been more than five foot tall. So but she was so powerful. And she told her story. And it just really resonated. So then the kids left, the principals left, and I had the privilege of walking Mark through our proposal to turn around five more schools and to talk about how we could engage GM employees in volunteerism in that work, as well as their 
retiree corps. They've got thousands of retirees, yet with amazing skills. So walked him through the proposal line by line by line. And then, of course, as appropriate, the CEO, Michael Brennan, popped the question. He said, so we're asking you to make a $27.1 million investment in our work turning around education in the city of Detroit. And then, of course, there was silence because Mark is thinking, processing, like, how could this, how could we make this happen? How could this be something we could say yes to? So he's nodding and he's nodding. And finally, he pushes his chair back from the table and he says, yes, let's do this. I have no idea how we're going to do this, <laughs> but we're going to make it happen. And then there was more silence because we had never rehearsed what to say when he said <laughs> yes. So I said, thank you. Like, this is a day we'll never forget. So again, fast forward, time leap into right after Thanksgiving, General Motors went back on the New York Stock Exchange. They withdrew from their bankruptcy status. And we held a press conference at the same school he had toured where he and Destiny announced that $27.1 million gift and the General Motors investment in Detroit public schools through the United Way. So that was how that gift came to be. And it was actually fulfilled through the GM Foundation over the course of five years. And they actually took on seven schools and graduation rates increased by, on average, by 40%. So they're in the, you know, high seventies, low eighties uh, on graduation rates. I mean, it truly was a transformational gift. I love that it was about vision and partnership and leadership. And that was how it was sold or explained to him. Because obviously if you say, okay, it's going to buy this many pencils and this many, this, and do this and this and this, it's not nearly as transformational. It doesn't seem as transformational as saying we are going to increase the graduation rate. Like we are going to actually transform all of these schools and put Detroit back on the map and create a better future for all of these students and their families. I mean, that's just phenomenal. And I think it leads me to my next question, which would be, I mean, you say that this really helped you understand how to best fundraise in any economy. And as we know, as of this recording, you know, the inflation rate is 9%. The economy, I mean, it's spiraling. We're not sure. I'm not an economist. <laughs> But we do know that there are there's a lot of pain right now. A lot of businesses are experiencing this pain and, and people and families. So how can we fundraise with all of this uncertainty and in this economic climate? What are some tips you would you would give to people, give to fundraisers out there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that corporations, especially those that are publicly held, they are definitely accountable to shareholders. And there are, there are definitely restrictions for most companies, public or private, in terms of how much they are going to give percentage of the bottom line, like the net profit each year. And as we approach, you know, a challenging economy or potentially they're forecasting a potential recession, people are trying to like, okay, let's batten down the hatches. Let's prepare for what could be very challenging. And to some degree is challenging even now with inflation and all the things that you mentioned, even the workforce sh shortages, you know, that's creating a bottleneck and impacting revenue as well. 
But when we look at, so that's that we just have to face that reality. But when we look at individuals, individuals have a lot more discretion in their giving, right? Because essentially we are emotional donors looking for rational reasons to justify our basically emotional decisions to give. So our connection to the mission. And that's why, especially as we move into tough times, really all the time, but especially in, in scary times like this, we have to focus on the story, how lives are changed. Because as Gerald Panis, legendary fundraiser, always said, people give to save lives and change lives. So we have to tell the story. And to your earlier point, we have to cast a compelling vision. Again, I'll reference back to Jim Collins in Good to Great, the book, amazing book he authored, is that we have to have the courage to cast big, hairy, audacious goals, even in the face of logic and reason. I love BHAGs. <laughs> I love BHAGs too. Yes. I talked to my clients about that. I forgot who coined that term. That's Jim Collins? That's Jim Collins. Okay. Oh, that book is so phenomenal. So speaking of coining terms, you coined a term story living, and I'd love for you to tell me about story living and how nonprofits can adapt it and and use it in their fundraising. Absolutely. So we're all very familiar with the powerful impact of storytelling. We do have to also be cautious that storytelling is not just a monologue, right? So me, it can happen a lot. Like we're the storytellers and we will regale our donors or probable donors with these stories. We'll inspire them, maybe move them to tears, fill their heart with joy, you know, because of the transformation that was created thanks to their generous gifts and the gifts of others. But again, it's us telling and them listening. And so I coined the the phrase and the process that I call story living because is inviting the donor to be part of the story. In fact, I think it was Mark Phillips out of the UK who said, they are not your donors. You are their charity or their nonprofit. Absolute favorite quotes. It is Mark Phillips. Yes. Yes. I love his work. And so story living is about putting yourself in the shoes of the donor and crafting an experience around them that they actually live. So those kinds of transformational experiences. So I work with an organization that does some international relief and they will invite supporters over, over the U.S. Thanksgiving to go with them to Belize to build houses, right? And they're paying their own airfare and lodging, right? But they have the experience of helping build houses and seeing that family open the door and walk in. Um, maybe it's something more local, like tutoring a child or during the holidays, doing like a holiday book reading with children or youth or serving Thanksgiving dinner at that shelter for people who are living without homes. Um, certainly taking Mark Royce to a Detroit inner city high school and having him experience that. Oh, walking through the metal detectors. Exactly. Having his bag searched just like every backpack gets searched. Having him sit in a library with virtually no books and hearing four students tell their stories. I mean, that's story living. And although it can sound a little bit crass, indulge me, 
but I liken it to what I call the three lines. You know, at the end of your life in your obituary, there are essentially three lines. There's who you left behind, those that you loved and who loved you. There's what you did for a living, your profession. And then there's your cause, your purpose, who you devoted your volunteerism to or your philanthropy to, your charitable giving. And we're aiming to be, through this story living experience, we're aiming to be the third line. That's really powerful. That is incredibly powerful. What is your legacy? What are you leaving behind and sort of what do you want to be known for? What do you want to be remembered for? So tell me about your favorite storyteller and why. I read this in, I must have read this in a blog post on in the Chronicle of Philanthropy, but I thought it was really interesting. So my favorite storyteller is Eminem, Marshall Mathers, D- Detroit City. <laughs> and so the reason that I love him is that he is so passionate and authentic. You know, as storytellers, especially in the fundraising, the nonprofit sector, we are often so tempted to put on kid gloves and to sugarcoat things and make them nice. And while I definitely am a big believer in ethical storytelling and honoring the person whose story we're telling and making certain like consent is more than just a permission slip, right? that they are completely aligned with the authenticity and feel empowered in sharing the story. But Eminem does not sugarcoat it. Like he tells the truth and he tells the beginning, how hard things were. He talks about the work, what it takes step by step and set back and pick yourself up and keep going and don't give up and be tenacious. And then he tells that better place they're in. It may not be the happiest ending. There may still be work to do, but he tells about the progress in such an authentic way. And that's why I love him. Yeah. It's interesting that Eminem is actually coming back into popularity because I think of TikTok because my daughter who is 12, she knows who he is and she listens to him. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I don't think I last listened to Eminem. I mean, I was probably in college or after college, but I think it just speaks to how his songs are kind of timeless and evergreen. And like you said, the stories that he tells that are hard to listen to are, you know, they're, they're impacting people even years and years later. So that's the, I think that's a quality of a great storyteller. So while I have you here, I want to talk about something that I see with the majority of my clients, my students, people that listen to my sessions and my speaking, you know, you speak about the ways that fundraisers could be more intentional. And my mantra is really to get nonprofit fundraisers, marketers, all professionals to be more proactive and less reactive, especially coming on the heels of the pandemic. But for a lot of, you know, my listeners, the constant barrage of email and internal meetings and Zoom calls and to-do lists can derail many of these great plans. So how can we get organized? Um, What are some tips that you have for getting organized, stopping this overwhelm and being able to focus on these sort of bigger picture, visionary leadership skills? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. And I encounter this with my clients as well. Like there's just so much 
and again, it's kind of like that forest and the, and the trees analogy. So I've been there. So when I was serving as chief philanthropy officer at the children's center in Detroit, and I, you know, I served in that role for nine years. We tripled fundraising in the first three years and we doubled it again by the time I left. And there was a lot completely overwhelmed, confronted oftentimes. And, you know, I would get into the office around seven in the morning and I would leave around five or five 30, mostly because I had to walk, go home and walk my dogs. <laughs> but like so many of us, and certainly I'm sure nonprofit nation listeners, between seven and five 30, I was in back-to-back meetings and inundated with emails and texts and voicemail and eating lunch over my computer keyboard or or maybe worse, like over my steering wheel on my way to a donor visit, right? With a like a lobster bib on just in case. Right. <laughs> right. Or changing. I used to have changes of clothes in my office. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there's the unplanned, like knock, knock, knock. Do you have five minutes? <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, my Lord. I remember that. And we want to make time for people, but those all can be very distracting. So, that's the life. That's the life so many of us lead. So what I found at that point in my life was that at the end of the day, I would literally pick up my big tote bag and I would say to myself, thank God it's five o'clock. Now I can go home and get some work done. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, the truth is, and we see it in the turnover rates, that lifestyle is not sustainable. So we turn over them. We go looking for greener grass and some other pasture. So having had that experience and then transitioning to be full-time in my consultancy, I created a system called the Intentional Fundraiser. And it was the result of that experience followed by consuming amazing content from all the great, the greatest business strategists and high-performance experts. And here's what I came up with. So I feel like the keys to getting intentional and stopping or at least significantly minimizing the overwhelm, number one, getting role clarity. So we're a talented, very resourceful lot of people. So, but there are, there are things we can do and then there are things we should do. And so getting clarity about what are the things that I should be doing that I bring a unique skill set, a zone of genius, a specific, unique value to. Those should be my priorities. And so then identify and focus on my top three to five priorities each month, each week, each day. And if you're doing this as an organization, then also tying that to quarterly and yearly goals for the, you know, for the department or the organization, and then even three-year and five-year goals. But even if you're just like, okay, I'm just trying to make it for me, Tammy, then do this for you, individual fundraisers. So getting role clarity, focusing on your top three to five priorities each month, week, every day, like literally, but when I close down for the end of the day, I'll write down, like, what are the three most important things I need to do to starting tomorrow morning? Do you have the Full Focus Planner by Michael Hyatt? I do like his planner. Yes. I have been listening to his podcast and I think it's phenomenal. But that just reminded me because it's all about the top three, the daily three, the weekly three, the monthly three, which I think is a great, it's a very great system. But tell me about your fundraising transformers community. Do you talk about um, these kind of strategies in that community? 
We do. So Fundraising Transformers is a, it is a community, a subscription or membership community. And there are, presently we've rolled out two levels. One is a paid subscription where you get full access to on demands. And, and the other is the, and that's called the growth level membership. And then the entry point is called the mentor membership, which is totally free. And you don't get access to the live trainings, but you get access to the recordings of the trainings for 72 hours after the live has happened. So we focus on everything from major gift strategy, how to engage your board in fundraising, how to be a high-performance fundraiser yourself, monthly giving programs, the training topic. We do trainings and coaching sessions every single month. And July's training session was on, we're at the six-month mark. We're halfway through the calendar year. What are the things, the strategies we need to employ to make certain we finish this year strong, that we hit our goals and that we are like vibrant and not not killing ourselves. Next month, August topic is on creating a compelling and urgent case for support. And I know you get, I see on the website, when you join, you'll get access to all the trainings if you do the subscription model. I think that's fantastic. That's amazing. Two and a half years worth of on-demand classes out there just waiting for folks. Well, that brings me to my last question. Where can people find out more about you, connect with you, and find out about this amazing community? Oh, well, thank you for asking that question. They can check out my website, fundraisingtransformed.com, where they can sign up for my free newsletter, the My Intentional Fundraiser podcast, which Julia, you'll be a guest here in the coming weeks, or they can check out that Fundraising Transformer community and really all of the services that we provide. I mean, our intention, our goal is to help to really equip and empower fundraising professionals board members, CEOs, to really transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Tammy, for being on Nonprofit Nation. And I look forward to being on The Intentional Fundraiser. Thank you. What a pleasure. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode, but until then... You can find me on Instagram at juliacampbell77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn. Mm-hmm.